Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the credit crunch. So at the moment, that's exactly what we're in. Credit is extremely, extremely tight. And I want to talk about uh, why that is. I want to share some stories with you about how tight it is so that you know you can align your expectations with something that's a little bit more realistic. And then I'm going to share about uh, five tips of how you can really tackle this credit crisis uh, so that you know it doesn't necessarily negatively impact your lifestyle or financial plans. Uh, so I've written and podcast about the changes uh, in credit over the last probably two years. And uh, really, they've obviously come, ar- come about by APRA, the RBA, the government, just in general, having concerns about a couple of things. Firstly, uh, Australians borrowing too much while interest rates are at historic lows. Uh, you know, they're worried about that inevitably interest rates will go up and will what what impact will that have on people that, that borrowed at that, that, that levels. And then also they were concerned about the property market and really a bubble in the property market, more correctly, particularly in Sydney. Uh, and they wanted to make sure that investors weren't speculating, you know, that investors weren't just kind of riding or fueling that bubble. And so what they wanted to do is reduce interest-only lending and also lending to uh, investors. And interest-only lending and lending to investors have fallen off the face of a cliff volume wise so they've certainly achieved that the property market is has certainly softened as well um, and the government in my view wants to be really careful about not pushing it too far um, because uh, I think things have tightened and uh, we might see uh, more ramifications uh, from that uh, I was reading the RBA minutes as you know as one would want to want to do with their spare time and um, a couple of sentences jumped out at me. Uh, and let me quote this. So this is quoted from the most recent RBA minutes. Uh, that is, they noted that most borrowers took out a loan that was substantially smaller than the maximum loan that lenders were prepared to offer. Three quarters of borrowers had taken out loans that were less than 80% of their maximum borrowing capacity on a serviceability considerations. This suggests that relatively few borrowers would have been constrained by the tightening lending standards that have reduced the minimum loan sizes to date. So that's what the RBA is saying. The RBA is saying, okay, because 75% of the people borrowed didn't borrow to their limit, then the credit changes aren't really restricting people. Well, that's a funny thing. Uh, What about the loans that have been declined? You know, that actually didn't get through to settlement. What about that? In fact, more importantly, what about all the conversations that prospective borrowers had with their banker or mortgage broker that ended in, sorry, mate, you don't have the borrowing capacity, you can't do that now? Because I can tell you in our business, we're having a lot more of those conversations than we previously had. So to form the view, for the ABA to form form the view that credit signing isn't impacting you know, uh, it's all impacting relatively few borrowers is, is a nonsensical and completely out of touch. And this is my concern is that does the government really understand what's going on here? And I guess the skeptic in me is, um, sort of suggesting that maybe, maybe what's going on here isn't prudential regulation. Maybe what's going on here is the banks teaching the government a lesson. Maybe because of the, 
major banking tax and the Royal Commission and all the bank bashing that the politicians like to do, and a lot of it's fair, by the way, uh, maybe what the banks are saying, you know what, guys, we control the supply of money. There's four major lenders, so we have significant control over the supply of money. If we tighten up, will cause a lot of problems for you. And the most, the biggest problem is in a, in a market where housing prices are coming down, that effect, that affects, typically affects consumer content, uh, confidence. So if, and then if consumer confidence falls, you know, that, that causes, you know, wide reaching effect. Anyway, I don't know what's happening. Like, so when I'm saying, I don't know if that's the case, I'm only surmising, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the, the situation. So let me share you a few. Let me share with you a few stories about what's going on in our inside our business in regards to the tightness of credit. Uh, and so I'm just going to share a few random stories here from just clients in in the recent month or so uh, that that have happened. We had one client that invested in a peer to peer lender, which is kind of a little bit like just putting monies on deposit to some degree, and you get an interest rate, and and the interest rate's typically higher than what you might get on a term deposit and so forth. So it's a clearly an investment. But we went to the bank. The bank said, "Oh no, no, no. We think it's a loan. And in fact, if you can't get something in writing from the provider." to say that this is an asset, we're going to treat it as a loan. So not only did they not add it to the asset pool, they assumed that there were loan repayments and it actually then deteriorated the client's borrowing capacity. Now the client has to go off and get a letter from an online business that's really run through an app. It's it's mission impossible to find some, nail someone down, a, a live person that's going to do that. Um, and the, the bank won't won't budge. You know, that they think it could be a loan and we're not going to you know, we're not going to sort of change that view. Uh, another client that had a net worth of over seven million dollars, uh, they only had one point two million of lending. Uh, when I say only, obviously relative to their asset base, but they had a million dollars in offset, so only net lending of two hundred thousand. Their family income was over two hundred fifty grand. This client wanted to go and borrow an invest, uh, go and borrow to buy an investment property. Uh, an apartment in Melbourne, about eight fifty. Wanted to borrow about nine hundred. Uh, you know the full cost and so forth. It was the most laborious, and painstaking, and ridiculous uh, loan application that I've been through. Now, this you look at this on paper and you go, that person, they're in a very very strong financial position. It's a no brainer, right? But there is no no distinction between no brainer and tight. Uh, a tight applicant. So really a first home buyer is kind of jumping through almost the same hoops that a, a, an established investor is doing. Um, we've had situations where uh, a, a lender's uh, question a $70 charge, monthly charge, and they've said, well, why don't, why isn't that, why doesn't that appear on the, the borrower's budget? You know, haven't they been fully disclosing all their information and so forth? So that is that now when you apply for a loan, you have to actually do a budget and you've got to tell the lender exactly where your money's going. And then what they'll do is trawl through your bank statements and credit card statements and match it all up and make sure that what you're telling them is actually what's, uh, what's happening. A colleague told me about a story about a client that bought something on lay-by or something, a very small item, and was paying $20 a month, and they paid it off. And the lender picked up, you know, last three months, there were, there were three $20 payments. Uh, that person had to go back to that vendor and get a letter in writing to say they bought this thing, they paid $20 installments, and now there's no debt left. You know, it's it's becoming uh, kind of ridiculous. 
And in a way, uh, it's more akin to like a criminal forensic investigation that is applying for a loan and that the applicants are guilty until proven innocent. That's kind of how it feels at the moment. I don't want to overplay it, but, you know, it, it really has changed. Okay, so enough for all the bad news. What can you do about it? So uh, I think the first thing you need to do is realise things have changed. You know, if you had a, if you had a, uh, did a loan application 12 months ago or even 12 years ago, particularly 12 years ago, 12 years ago you'd walk into a branch and you'd sign a piece of paper and you'd tell them exactly how much money you wanted and it was all done. Uh, th- th- those, those days are gone and they'll, they will almost never come back. So you've got to realise things have changed. It's it's now um, you've now got to really position yourself for why you're a good credit risk, and, and why uh, you know what you're doing is a safe and and prudent thing to do, as opposed to in past years you, that that didn't even come into question. It's just how much money do you want? Okay, here it is. Take it away. The second thing is you've got to understand the far-reaching consequences of your day-to-day transactions. So not only a couple of things have occurred at the same time. The first one is obviously the credit tiny that I've talked about. The second thing is the recording of comprehensive credit data, what they call positive data. So previously in your on your credit record, they only record negative data. You know, if you defaulted or if you had a judgment against you or if you were bankrupt, all those just basic negative data. Now what they do is they're starting to record a lot more data. You know, what sort of credit cards you've applied for? Are your balances high? Did you miss a payment on a small bill or something like that? Or have you in fact got very low credit card balances, you pay them off every month and that you're in advance in your loans and these sorts of things. So they're creating a, a, a getting a lot more data, gathering a lot more data, that's what I was looking for. Um, uh, these days, and the the banks, the the government's forcing the banks to use that in determining a credit score. So really, um, you know, in the past, when you wanted to make an application, uh, worst case is you would have to kind of window dress and get it, get everything sorted out, maybe six months or even three months in advance before you made that application. You know, if you, your situation was a bit messy. Uh, now, with tighter credit, they're looking at things a lot closer, and they're looking at a, a longer. Uh, history of data, plus also with comprehensive credit reporting, uh, you know, what you do today will affect your borrowing capacity in two years' time. So you've got to then understand that and understand the mechanics of that and then really start thinking about, you know, if you're planning on applying for a, a credit card just to get some bonus points and, you know, you'll transfer the balance and then pay it off or something like that. Might sound like a great idea, but if it's only going to make you 100 bucks. Uh, it might actually not be worthwhile. It might do more damage to your credit file and your credit history than actual um, positive. Um, The third item is plan well ahead. Sometimes, you know, I I coined the phrase a long time ago, the best time to borrow is when you don't need it. Because when you don't need it, firstly, you're not compelled um, and you're probably in in the strongest position. Whereas if you have a fantastic opportunity that's just popped up and you need the money fast... You know, that's typically not the best time because you can't strategically revalue properties. You can't go through the whole process um, with, without um, creating problems or hassles and so forth. So um, understanding what your borrowing needs are over the next, say, five-year periods and then strategically working out when the best time is to make an application. When's the best time to revalue properties and get access to equity? If, you, if you're changing jobs or your income might change, um, consider that. That is, 
maybe you've got to buy an investment property or refinance you know before the end of the year because at the end of the year you plan to change your your job and and those sorts of things number five is if you sell a property don't repay the loan so a lot of people at the moment will have more credit than what they're qualified for today at today's rules so that is that they might have two million dollars worth of loans but their borrowing capacity today is a million and a half well if they go on and sell a property for instance uh normally what people would do is just repay the the associated loan what i would be saying to people is keep it open secure it by existing property other equity it's called substitution of security or potentially a, a term deposit but leave it on leave it um open and therefore you've always then got 200 2 million dollars worth of credit facilities now you might repay the loan so that is reduce the loan balance but leave the limit open Similarly, if you have a large amount of in offset, say for example, we've got a lot of clients that have you know a large amount of cash in their home loan offset, one opportunity there is to split that loan into a used portion, unused portion, and with the unused portion, you take the money out of the offset, put it into the loan to reduce the balance, and then you can redraw it uh, in the future. And you can and and the repayment and redraw. Um, is is then changes the tax nature of the debt. So if it was a home loan and you repay and redraw that and use it for investment purposes, that's fine. And we've got a lot more information on our website um, and the, the book Smart Borrowers Handbook that I wrote uh, a few years ago. We'll, we'll sort of take you through that. Make sure you got the right products. Make sure you implement that that correctly as well because that's uh, a, a key feature with that. So it's not all bad news and really successful investing and building wealth is is as much about finding solutions to potential problems as anything else. So we might sit back and go, oh my God, what's happening? You know, credit crunch, we're not going to be able to invest, etc, etc. No, that's not true. I think it's really just a case of seeing this as just another challenge. You know, something that's always, there's always a solution to most problems. And it's just about finding the workable solution over time. You know, you might not be able to do it overnight, but over a period of a few years, you should still be able to implement your plans. It just means you're going to have to be more the smarter about it. And secondly, borrowing capacity is a scarce resource. Make sure you allocate it as best as you possibly can. So if you're holding on to investments that aren't performing, you could be allocating that scarce resource, i.e. borrowing capacity somewhere else. And I've always tried to impart this or educate clients about this. They think, oh, I've got this property. It's not really costing me any money because the rent pays for the repayments. But what it's costing you is opportunity cost because you could allocate that scarce resource that is borrowing capacity somewhere else. So have a think about that as well. Anyway, that's it for me this week. Uh, As always, there's more information in the show notes. Uh, And until next week, bye for now.